Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. So delighted to see you returned once again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got a curious item. This just into the shop. It is a piece of ancient pottery, probably uh, of the Aztec era in Mexico. It is a, a curious piece, quite old, but still quite pristine in its look and its quality. If we take off the lid, you can take a look inside it probably if you smell deeply you might think that this housed some sort of uh, ancient herb but if you look at the outside you'll see paintings depicting events battles and if you look even closer you may notice a fine line of inlaid metal this is a metal that probably won't show up on any list of metals that uh, we are used to but this is a precious metal with very otherworldly qualities that in some universes may even be known by the name of vibranium and there lies the heart of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new Marvel film, Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever. So Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever is a movie that I think a lot of Marvel fans have been waiting for for quite some time because it kind of wraps up this latest phase of Marvel before we head into the next phase of Marvel. And I, I have to admit that this phase of Marvel has been a little disappointing maybe not disappointing i think i've enjoyed everything but it seems that this phase of marvel you have a lot of directors and you have a lot of uh, storytellers that are more interested in jokes and making these marvel properties into pieces of comedic work and less about superhero stories the two biggest examples are she hulk and thor love and thunder now while i enjoyed both of those uh productions for what they were uh, it did lean a little more into jokes and jokes and jokes than than i really wanted so i knew with black panther wakanda forever especially given the circumstances surrounding the movie i knew this wasn't going to be just a bunch of jokes in in the middle of this Marvel superhero story. Or better put, it wasn't going to be a Marvel superhero story in the middle of a bunch of jokes. So I'm going to get two big elephants in the room out of the way right off the bat uh, before we get any further into this. Of course, uh, this movie was so ingrained in Chadwick Boseman, uh, whether it be on the screen memorials to him and the character that he played uh, but the the spirit of chadwick boseman and what this character represented king t'challa and the black panther just were were permeating this movie and and uh, rightfully so I, I i don't say that in a bad way I, I i hope that didn't come across like that but you had so much of this movie just felt one like a love letter to the actor as much as the character and was just a great memorial to this this man who portrayed this character in this movie franchise. And it was so sad to hear when Chadwick Boseman passed and how he had been struggling with with cancer from from the time he took on the the mantle of the Black Panther and you know all the way back to Captain America Civil War uh the Black Panther movies through the the Endgame and uh, Infinity War movies you know he was dealing with this and fighting with this and when you hear some of the stories about like 
the first Black Panther movie and Ryan Coogler talking about how, you know, they would do this fight scene when, when King T'Challa or when T'Challa is, is fighting to become the, the King of Wakanda. And, you know, after takes, it would just take him forever to really kind of get his strength back. And it's all these fight scenes really took it out of him. And, and Ryan Coogler thought, well, maybe it's just, yeah, you know, it's, it's a tough scene. Maybe it's, he just chalked it up to that. And then when he found out later that, that Chadwick Boseman had cancer and he it kind of put two and two together that's why he was having such a, a struggle and and the the bravery involved in one uh battling cancer um the bravery in putting everything else you're doing first you know he didn't tell anybody I'm sure his family knew uh, but nobody, none of the actors, none of the directors, none of the producers, nobody knew he was dealing with this and battling this and, and the strength to be able to keep that all inside and not let it affect your work, uh, is just, it's, it's staggering. Uh, I know, uh, a friend of mine, a very close friend of mine, uh, he and his family, I'm, I'm close with them. And, uh, he lost his wife here this past weekend and to cancer and, uh, the the fight that she put up and the struggles she went through, uh, I just can't wrap my mind around that. And to you know have that while it's not uh, a close personal level to to have somebody you know that's going through that and putting up the fight that she did to understand uh, what kind of fight Chadwick Boseman put up uh, in fighting cancer. It's just uh, it it really it really makes you reassess your life and and what what hardship really is you know some of those things those pains throughout the day and throughout the week that that you know you're like i just i hate this and i you know i can't deal with this anymore and then you see somebody like my friend's wife or you see somebody like chadwick boseman who were dealing with this death sentence and yet they they pushed forward and they fought and they continued every day they kept fighting kept going kept moving forward uh it really makes you take stock in really what is what is insurmountable and what isn't and what fighting is uh, or at least what i perceive fighting for something is and then to see somebody really fighting uh it just makes you really kind of reassess uh where your mind is on things like that so to have Chadwick Boseman and the Black Panther character and T'Challa uh, just throughout this movie ingrained in every fiber of it, whether whether they're mentioning his name or not, whether you're seeing an image of him or not, you still feel the presence of this this actor who really played this part perfectly. Uh, everything I imagined T'Challa to be, uh, Chadwick Chadwick Boseman really brought that onto the screen from the first time we saw him. Uh, and he, he portrayed this character with such elegance and such dignity and such nobility. And he is going to be sorely missed. But I think this franchise is in really good hands. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing how they move forward with this franchise. Another big elephant in the room is the fact that they changed the origin story of Namor in the comic books namor is a tall lean white guy dark slicked back hair uh he's atlantean or at least half atlantean uh it's never really i mean it's not completely uh, greco-roman culture but atlantis has always been attributed to that that culture and atlantis is not where namor is from in this movie so i while i don't like the whole idea of changing characters and race swapping just for the sake of it. And I know Ryan Coogler made a, a concerted effort to change this to more of a, a Mesoamerican, Aztec, Mexican story as opposed to the traditional Submariner story. I, I knew he did that you know, specifically to add diversity, which I don't like that as the excuse to to change things, but it does make sense with this. And I know a lot of people bitched about it, but when you take a look at it, you've already got DC and Aquaman who they are already using. I mean, the Submariner and Aquaman are pretty much the same character. They just look different, and but they're both, you know, rulers of Atlantis and 
DC got there first, at least with the movie adaptations. So you can't, it really, it, it would seem silly to try and just copy them. And Atlantis is always going to seem like just, in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Atlantis would seem like a copy of what DC was doing. Whether Submariner came along first, whether Aquaman came along first, uh, that doesn't matter. Whether Atlantis was, was brought into the picture in the comics first or, or with this character or the other character, doesn't matter. DC came out with their version first, so anything Marvel does is going to seem like a copy of what DC did with Atlantis. So it made sense to change it. It's no longer Atlantis that the Submariner is from. And when you change that, you you can change the, the ethnicity of the character. You can change the uh, culture and things like that. And when you're talking about a sunken city or, or nation or continent or whatever it is in the Atlantic Ocean, it does make sense for it to be a Mesoamerican. Uh, an Aztec culture, a a Mexican culture, because that's you know that is very much right smack in the middle of that, and I I like the idea of it. Now, part of me when it first came out, I said, oh, they should have made him like Polynesian. And I think I saw somebody who wrote an article who is you know of, of South Pacific culture uh, saying that the Submariner should have been you know South Pacific, and and I can. I can agree with that to a, to an extent because they are more of a seafaring culture than the Aztecs and, and ancient uh, Mexico. But again, there you have it where DC already did that with Jason Momoa, who is, uh, is of Hawaiian descent, and you, you've already got that taken. So it would if they would have gone with a South Pacific culture, it would have felt like a ripoff of so you know when you think about it yeah i don't like race swapping just for race swapping sake but when you look at it logically with what dc has already done with a very similar character it makes sense that they did it in this way and i was quite happy with it because i really enjoyed the performance of tino Huerta. you watch any interviews with him the guy's a very fun charismatic guy and he brought a lot of that to this character because this character submariner has always been kind of a an anti-hero you know in some regards he can be a villain but in other regards he can be a, a good guy and you know you you watch this story play out and you see what he has gone through and why he hates the surface world and it's understandable and it's believable and you like him but you you understand how this guy thinks he's doing the right thing everybody's the hero of their own story and he believes he's the hero of his story and he's doing things for the right reasons but you know as far as his his people go but in the bigger picture of things in the grand scheme of things uh, it may not be the the actual right thing to do when humanity is is the bigger picture so it, i thought it was it's a very complicated character and i think they handled that well and tenoch huerta uh, did a great job in handling this character so i uh, all that I say to say, you know, as much as I, I wasn't on board with all of the swapping that went on with the Namor character, even how they say his name differently, I, I don't like it, but I get where they're going with this. But when you look at it from a logical perspective of what DC has done, what Marvel needs to do to differentiate themselves from DC, uh, it, it does make sense. And, and I'm okay with that. You know, I don't care who they swap, genders, races, whatever. If it makes sense, and if the actor is good, and if the storytelling is good, and, and that can make me forget about the fact that this isn't the character that I saw in the comic books, but make me feel like this is still the character I saw in the comic books, then, then I'm fine with that. That's when it's done right. Uh, when, when people do this sort of swapping just to do it, and it's not handled very well or treated very well, and it just is sloppy on the screen and feels forced and shoehorned, that's when I have a problem with it. But I think Ryan Coogler and, and Marvel did a really good job with giving you reasons why this version of the Submariner works in the MCU. And I quite enjoyed it. It was it was fun to watch uh, Tino Schwerta on the screen as Namor. 
So we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about it maybe more through the perspective of the characters than just giving you a shot-by-shot breakdown of everything that happened. But there are going to be a lot of spoilers in this. There's, you know, I, I'm kind of resigning myself to the fact that I, I can't. This isn't really much as a review as it is kind of a, a breakdown, a discussion of what we saw in this movie. So if you haven't seen Black Panther Two: Wakanda Forever, you should probably go see it before you dive any further into this, uh, because yeah, I am going to spoil a lot of things for you. I'll try not to be too spoilery and try not to be too, uh, and this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. Uh, so we're going to talk about this movie, but uh, I can't promise things aren't going to be spoiled a little bit for you. So go watch the movie, come back and hear me. But if you don't care about spoilers or you're like, you know, I'm on the fence. I don't know as if I want to watch this movie. Uh, and And if you spoil it for me, I don't care. Uh, then maybe when you're said, it's all said and done, you might think, hey, you know, I'm probably going to go watch that. I'll give it a shot. Uh, or you might be like, oh, yep, no, he just confirmed all of my greatest fears and I am not going to see the movie. I don't think that's going to be the case. If you like superhero movies, if you like Marvel movies, if you've been disappointed by the forced comedy of the latest Marvel entries, uh, I think you're going to like this because this got back to what's really good about Marvel movies and what I liked about Marvel movies. The fact that you get drama, you get little bits of comedy sprinkled through. It's not like a, you know, it's not like watching some sort of rom-com or anything like that, but you get comedy sprinkled through that, that really lightens things up, but you get really good comic book stories and really good comic book battles and superhero battles and things like that. So I, I think this this movie kind of gets back to that. So we're going to talk about Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever. Be careful for spoilers from here on out. So right off the bat in this movie, uh, Wakanda is overrun with mourning because the death of uh, King T'Challa, the Black Panther. We we get those final moments of his life. You don't see it. You see it from Cherie, uh, played by Letitia Wright. You see it from her perspective as she's trying to recreate the heart-shaped herb that Killmonger destroyed in the first Black Panther. He destroyed all of them. She's trying to recreate it synthetically, thinking that'll save him, but uh, it's not working and it's too late anyway. Uh, King T'Challa has died. They never really go into any detail other than he suffered in silence uh, for a very long time, which is very true to what Chadwick Boseman went through. But they didn't say what he died from, which I like that because I, you know, it's this is already you're already rife with with pain in this movie from knowing that this character is dead and the actor who played them is 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 gone as well and so i'm glad they didn't get into too much detail on that but you you see the morning you see the tributes uh it's just that first like 10 15 minutes of the movie is just gut-wrenching uh you can't help but but tear up a little bit i i I'll admit, I'm a, I'm a bit of a crybaby when it comes to emotional things in movies. I'm not ashamed of it. Uh, I don't like to broadcast it, but I, I didn't ball in this. But geez, Louise, it was it was pretty tough, especially when you you see the reactions of people, the reactions of Cherie, her brother's passed away. It just it, it's hard. Uh, there's a, a bit later in the movie. We'll, we'll get to that. And it was hard as well. But you see this this country in mourning. And, and I like how they they play this. Uh, they did it in the first Black Panther when uh, King T'Chaka died. and Or was that Civil War? I can't remember. Anyway, uh, they wear white instead of black when they're mourning. It's just visually stunning to watch. Uh, a lot of the slow motion stuff, the dancing. I just it, it was so beautifully melancholic that it just was uh, something to watch. It was heart wrenching, heart moving, and every bit the tribute to Chadwick Boseman as it was a tribute to this character T'Challa. And when you're seeing these characters react to T'Challa's death and his passing. You wonder how much of that is the actor acting about this other fictional character or how much of that really is their own personal grief 
and mourning for the actor Chadwick Boseman that that they lost and and it's a really fine line that sometimes I think they cross back and forth and you can't, I can't imagine that any of these actors uh, weren't shedding real tears uh, for the fellow actor, for their friend that they lost uh, when they're acting this scene out about this fictional character that was lost. But we find ourselves at the beginning of this, T'Challa's gone, uh, Wakanda is kind of not leaderless because Angela Bassett's character, Queen Ramonda, is is the queen of Wakanda now. Uh, she has taken control and leadership, uh, but we find that they're they're without their protector. They have no Black Panther. There's no heart shaped herb to have a new Black Panther at the United Nations. You find out that other countries are wanting their vibranium, and and they. You know, a lot of the other countries feel that they are weak because they do not have the Black Panther. We learn that the United States has had somebody, some scientists develop a machine that detects vibranium. They've detected it in the Atlantic Ocean. And we see this. these researchers get attacked uh, by what we find out. I mean, they, they play it as a little bit of a mystery, but it's no mystery. We know it's the Atlanteans and... And we know that they're introduced in this way. Some of those scenes, some of those sea attack scenes that happen in the middle of the night and the Atlanteans kind of have that siren song that they sing that that lure people. It, some of those were really creepy scenes. I mean, it's not a horror movie by any stretch of the imagination. And, and these scenes aren't really played for horror, but it, it was some of those scenes just got really creepy and really disturbing to watch like you know marvel when it's in the right hands can lean into horror uh we we saw that with werewolf by night we saw that in some of these these dark nighttime uh ocean attack scenes that they can really lean into some horror i'd really like to see marvel really lean into a uh, a full-fledged horror film I think that would be fun to watch, especially if, you know, Marvel is just so full of these characters, not necessarily the superheroes, but the supernatural characters, the werewolves, the vampires, the other creatures of the night. I think that'd be fun to watch because I think in the right hands of the right directors, they can they can let some of that stuff shine through. But the world wants vibranium. Uh, we see that Wakanda has it. Uh, we find out that the Atlanteans have it, or they're not even Atlanteans in this. Uh, they're they're from Talokan, which is kind of the surrogate for Atlantis. Uh, although they do treat the Talokanians, I don't I. Can't I'm not sure if we ever really get a a, a real uh, representation of, of what they're called. They're not Atlanteans, as I said, but they are blue as well. There's an interesting backstory as to how they became uh, this this underwater nation, why they're blue when they're above the water, when they're on the surface, and then they're uh, their regular color when they're underwater. It, that was all really kind of neat, and it, it you know, there again it played into to the um, changing the race of these people. Uh, it, it made it interesting. I, I liked that aspect of it, that they weren't just a bunch of blue Atlanteans. Uh, like in the comics, there was a reason uh, behind it, uh, sort of. Uh, it, it was it was interesting, and it made the, the changing of the culture of this people uh quite intriguing but we find out in Talokan that they have uh, vibranium as well the world is after it and namor prince namor king namor i should say in this he goes to wakanda to try and broker some sort of uh, mutually assured destruction act you know he wants he wants an ally Wakanda is upset that they're being blamed for the things that the Talokanians are doing. And from there, it really is a movie about what should they do? Should they go to war? Should they be allies with them? Should they try and stay neutral? You know, they've got Namor and the rest of the world all looking at Wakanda right now. And they're in a position where they really, while Queen Ramonda is, is a good queen, she's a strong queen, she's a mother who is in mourning right now. And and she's not too removed, too far removed from the mourning 
drowning of her husband. But that's really kind of the jumping off point of, of where we are at this movie, the, the setup for this movie. So like I said, we're going to kind of talk about the different characters throughout this movie and, and where they take this story. And really... For the most part, when it comes to Wakanda, you have two characters that are really focused on mainly, and that is Shuri and uh, Queen Ramonda. And Shuri, of course, played by Letitia Wright, she does a fantastic job. And she really had a lot on her shoulders because, one, this movie was completely written. Ryan Coogler and his team had this written before Chadwick Boseman passed away. And he passed away and... You've got this story written uh, for a character that is is not going to be in the movie. So they had the monumental task of reworking this. I, I would be interested to see how much of the original screenplay uh, is left from, from what they originally wrote. I, I'm sure the basic premise of the story remains the same, I, I, but I'm sure there was a lot of things that had to be changed because Chadwick Boseman, uh, Black Panther as we know it, is not going to be in this. And you almost have to have a new origin story for the new Black Panther. So that in and of itself was a monumental task, but Letitia Wright had the monumental task of Going from being kind of a secondary character, she was a B character in the other uh, Black Panther movie, in the Thanos stuff, and she went from being a side character, a B, C character, that really wasn't focused heavily on. I mean, she had important scenes, and she was an important part of stories, but she wasn't focused on heavily. She went from being that to being the person that had to essentially carry this movie uh granted she had some help from angela bassett as ramonda but letitia wright had to carry this movie she had to be believable carrying this movie and right off the bat i'll say she did a fantastic job uh i really i i, I guess i didn't think about it much just because you know we're in uncharted territory with this t'challa's gone uh, chadwick boseman's gone uh, what are they going to do with this? And I guess it just didn't dawn on me the the weight that Letitia Wright was going to have on her. And she did this admirably. I mean, you really believe she really carried this movie and carried the story of this movie from, from start to finish. Because you watch this movie, and it's mainly from her perspective. You get a little bit, like I said, from uh, Angela Bassett as Ramonda. Uh, you get a little bit from Tenoch Huerta as Namor, but it is primarily from Letitia Wright as Cherie, her perspective of this movie. And she does a great job. Uh, I yeah, I really loved the scenes with her and uh, Okoye uh, Denai Guerrero going to, what was it, Boston? They kept saying Boston to Chicago. I can't tell where this girl's from. But the Riri Williams character, played by Dominic Thorne, uh, she's going to be Ironheart in a new Disney Plus Ironheart series. Uh, we finally get introduced to her, kind of the Iron Man replacement, so to speak. Uh, especially once I think they get into the Young Avengers. Uh, but they go looking for her because they found out she's the one that created this machine to to be able to t detect vibranium. She's in danger because uh, Namor's after her. The world is going to be after her. They're trying to protect her, bring her to Wakanda. I really like, uh, I'll get into the Riri Williams character in a little bit, but Letitia Wright, some of those scenes were fun. Her and Denai Guerrero, uh, their, their scenes together were very fun and playful, and they just have a, a good chemistry on the screen. Uh, it, it almost felt like a, a buddy cop sort of film uh, to a degree when they're trying to find the uh, Riri Williams character, but uh, I, I really enjoyed that. She had a lot of good chemistry, I think, with Tenoch Huerta as Namor. Uh, she ends up going to Atlantis to try and speak with Namor and trying to get him to come to some sort of agreement with Wakanda. They didn't have to be enemies. They didn't have to go to war. And you find out that the two of them are are very similar in some degrees of their story and how it's gone. They both have a lot of reasons to have a lot of hate in their heart. But is it 
uh, going to be something where you let that hate rule the day and give in to that, or whether you let the the love that is inside of you uh, become your driving and guiding force. And that's a theme that really plays out to the very end of this. In those Atlantis scenes, you you find out or you see that that both of these characters really are driven more by revenge than than anything. But one of the things I really liked about Letitia Wright as Cherie is that she just played the gamut of emotions in this so well. I mean, she and and was very believable. You believe the pain that she went through with T'Challa, with Ramonda, which we'll we'll get into what happens there in a little bit. Uh, you really get that she is just a very understanding and kind soul when she's when she's dealing with this man that that could be an enemy but she's just trying to to get to know him understand him make peace with him uh, when she deals with Namor uh, she plays that so well she plays the strength of becoming the new Black Panther so well you believe that she is a, a warrior as well as a scientist when when she becomes Black Panther. It just I, I, I have to say I was impressed. You know, I, I liked her as an actress. I always liked her as Cherie in all the other iterations that this character has shown up in. But wow, did I I mean and I don't know. I don't know how long she's gonna be the Black Panther. The mid credit scene uh, spoke to that. But I have to imagine she's gonna be the Black Panther uh, for at least a, a good while. And I wasn't sure how I was going to feel with that. Uh, I know a lot of people uh, didn't dig that. I know a buddy of mine who's really kind of disenfranchised with the whole uh, Marvel, Disney conglomeration. Uh, and, and this guy is, he's of the political mindset, we'll say, that you would think the woke culture that is so prevalent in our society these days, you'd think it wouldn't bother him as much as it does. Uh, I'm not going to get into any specifics, but he's just very put off by the woke feminism and things like that. Is that's very prevalent in Marvel and Disney these days. He was upset. Oh, there you go. They're doing a, a female Black Panther, and I'm like, well, yeah, they're doing that, but it's it's from the comics. I mean, Cherie became Black Panther in the comics, so you can't. It's not like some agenda. You know, the guy that played the Black Panther died. What are they going to do? Uh, well, they're sticking with the comics with that. So you can't poo-poo them making Cherie the Black Panther because, like I said, it's from the comics. So <laughs> I know a lot of people were upset about that. Uh, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it. I knew it was from the comics. I understood it. I thought it makes sense for this movie. But long-term, how was I going to feel about it? Was I going to believe Cherie is the Black Panther? And... Letitia Wright and the performance she put on uh, gave me great confidence in the future of this franchise, at least the foreseeable future, until they decide what else they're going to do. Like I said, they're setting things up for further down the road, but uh, but I, I have enjoyed her in, in at least this movie and this last little bit of the movie where we got to see her become the Black Panther. Uh I was impressed, and and I think I'm going to enjoy the ride with Cherie as the Black Panther for as long as they decide to do this. Now, there are a laundry list of kind of B and C characters that I'm not going to get too much into because they don't really... Uh, have much of a, a part in pushing the story forward, but they're very integral parts of the story. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o, I, I love her. I, I, everything I see her in, uh, I'm just always uh, a big fan of hers. She's back as uh, Nakia. Uh, I, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but uh, you know, T'Challa's former lover, wife. I, I don't know as if they were ever actually married, uh, but they were partners. Uh, she's back and does a, a fantastic job. She does a really good job of being that like Wakandan spy. Uh, kind of plays into the uh, espionage aspects of it. And she just does a great job. It's always fun to see her in this movie. Uh, it's fun to see her return in this as well after all the endgame events. Uh, Denai Guerrera as Okoye, uh, she just... 
I've been a huge fan of hers ever since I was, I guess I was probably first introduced to her like a lot of people on Walking Dead, but everything she's shown up in after that since then, uh, I've just enjoyed her. I really love her performance because she can play such strength, but then she can play such softness and delicateness, and she always brings that kind of multifaceted approach to a lot of her characters, and even with this character, it's such a strong character. She is a general. She is badass. She is tough. Uh, but then you have moments where where she has some softness and some vulnerability. And Denai Guerrero uh, just does that fantastic. And I really liked how they introduced... Of course, she's the general of the uh, Dormelage. And they kind of stripped her of that title. And then, thanks to Cherie building these new suits, they introduced the Midnight Angels with her and uh, Aneka. So that was really cool. And I, I really dug the the suits that they, they did for the Midnight Angels. Very, very true to the comic. So I really like that, and I like how they they kind of gave these two characters a little more. You know, they got them an upgrade, <laughs> and they're just. I think that's going to be fun to watch in the future. Michaela Quell as uh, as Aneka is 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 fantastic. She kind of had a little more to do in this than than the last one. Florence Kasumba is uh, AO, and again, there again, uh, not a huge part in the movie, but she's always there. She's always a part of the action and, and does a, a good job with this character. Winston Duke is Mbaku. Uh, he's always, always good for, he just has that physical presence that he can play the big badass, but he's such got such great comedic timing that he can throw out a little line and it's not... It's not like a, a traditional joke. We can throw a sarcastic line out there or just a line and it come across so funny because like I said, he's got really good comedic timing and he just adds, uh, he was kind of the comic relief without being comic relief. Uh, he was always good for a line that kind of broke the tension and just made you kind of chuckle a little bit and, and ease the tension, let things calm back down, and then the tension can build up again. But he does a good job with this character. And I like what they did with this character at the end. Kind of made him more of an advisor to to Cherie. And he, he went from this big brute of a man that's challenging T'Challa for you know the kingship back in the first one to now he is he's being Cherie's advisor and he is he's helping her and uh, giving her guidance which which is uh, it just adds dimension to the character that I enjoyed and then at the end when they they essentially he becomes king a spoiler alert yeah i know but uh he becomes king because sheree she doesn't want to be the she doesn't want to be queen she just wants to be the black panther she wants to protect wakanda she wants to protect uh people and she's letting mbaku take the throne and she is going to be black panther and and i, I like that i i always thought that was odd that the king had to be the black panther because it's it's kind of i think irresponsible for a king or a queen to <laughs> to sit there and be responsible for ruling their people but then constantly putting be putting themselves in harm's way <laughs> just seems a seems a little bit irresponsible to me but uh, i like how they separated the black panther mantle from the ruler mantle and as we go forward uh, i think we'll see a fun relationship between mbaku and and shuri uh, as as King and Black Panther going down the road. Then you've got the Riri Williams character, Ironheart, played by Dominique Thorne. Uh, she did a really good job with this. I, I found out that she actually um, she actually auditioned for the Cherie role in the first Black Panther, or, or maybe it wasn't even the first Black Panther. Maybe it was. Uh, I, I can't remember if she showed up. In oh yeah, she probably would have been in Captain America: Civil War. So, but she originally auditioned for that role, didn't get it. But it was cool that they brought her back for the Riri Williams Ironheart character. Uh, she's from Chicago, but she's in Boston. That's I was getting a little confused there when I was talking about her earlier. But uh, she's from Chicago. She's going to MIT, which is quite interesting because you would have to imagine she's going to MIT. She'd be going to school with MJ and Ned and. Flash from the Spider-Man movies because they both, all three of those just got into MIT. Poor Peter going to be stuck going to Empire State, but 
that's a different podcast episode altogether. But but she, you know, she was a fun addition to this. I really wasn't integral to the story other than the fact that she invented the uh, machine that uh, could detect vibranium. But it really was more of an introduction of this character to the MCU. So when we see her show up in the Ironheart series on Disney+, Plus, we really don't have to waste time going into a bigger explainer as to who she is now granted the suit she built uh, the original suit was probably destroyed the suit she built in wakanda she left that with wakanda so we will get to see her design and build a new Ironheart suit uh when we see the the series come out or maybe she'll have a new one already built who knows a great introduction character like i said didn't really play into the story much after she came to wakanda other than giving another body to fight in the big final battle but like i said dominique thorne did a great job and i'm excited to see her more as uh, riri williams and, and ironheart in the future uh, of the mcu so that's that's exciting you had a couple other characters show up bef- that we've seen before everett ross played by martin freeman i uh, love martin freeman always like him seeing him show up as as agent ross so, well, i'll give you my thoughts on it a little bit later uh, julie louis dreyfus as valentina allegra de fontaine miss de fontaine if you're nasty she's the new director of the cia we find out she is the ex-wife of agent ross and martin freeman so uh, theirs was i i, I love both those actors i love both those actors in these roles uh, what i didn't love was this story arc with them in this movie this movie was freaking long this movie was 161 minutes i mean pushing three hours their story the things we learned about their involvement why they're in it we could learn in some exposition. It was just unnecessarily. It made a long movie even longer. So I, I was really kind of disappointed once I found out they weren't really going to do anything in this movie. Uh, they're both in it, and I love seeing them show up in the MCU. But they they just didn't they didn't have any purpose in the movie. And made a long movie even longer. So as much as I love seeing those two actors show up and was excited to see them show up, it was a little disappointing because there was really no purpose for them to be in this movie. And of course, you get a lot of other little actors. There's a nice cameo with Michael B. Jordan when Cherie goes to the ancestral plane instead of going to the the African, you know, Serengeti or whatever it is, and, and speaking with the other Black Panthers that have taken the Panther shape. She talks to uh, Killmonger, which was not who she was expecting, and and it really plays. And he feeds into her vengeance and her anger because that's what she wanted at that time. Like he said, she's the reason. And he was there. She's the reason he showed up because she wanted somebody to tell her to go and seek revenge because that's what she had in her heart at the time. Her mother wasn't going to tell her that. Uh, T'Challa wasn't going to tell her that. And it was a situation where I thought that it was smart that they didn't. I, I was afraid when she went to the ancestral plane that they were going to do some CG version of T'Challa or, or even some disembodied voiceover. I think a disembodied voiceover might be something to consider in the future. Uh, I don't want to see a CGI rendition of Chadwick Boseman. I just don't, I don't think either one of those would be in good taste for this movie. Uh, like I said, maybe some sort of disembodied voice uh, at a later Black Panther I was glad they didn't do any of that uh, with this movie, just because it's too soon, too close, and I, I have to imagine that, yeah, nobody nobody even was thinking that, so I'm glad they didn't do that, but uh, but it was cool to see Michael B. Jordan, because I, I, I always love him when he shows up in things, and of course he played, Killmonger was, was such a great uh, character in that movie, made a great villain, complicated villain, but a villain. And then this character I saved for last for a very, very good reason. Uh, Angela Bassett as Queen Ramonda. She just was a tour de force in this movie. I, I hear a lot of people talking about she deserves award consideration, Oscar consideration. I would not disagree with that one bit. She was just just, man, acting her ass off in this movie. The weight of everything she had to take on 
for this role. I mean, not to mention the weight of losing a friend, losing Chadwick Boseman, carrying on this movie franchise without the star of the movie franchise. It's a tough undertaking, but for her to to take on this role, to pick up the mantle of Queen after T'Challa, to have to play the mourning of losing a child, the weight of having to run a nation, uh, the anger of those that would come against said nation, trying to take what's yours, uh, trying to protect its people. She just played on that that great run of emotion so spectacularly and so expertly. I mean, there's a reason why Angela Bassett is a world-class actress and a top-notch actress and an award-winning actress because she brings it all to the table, and she brought it all to the table in this movie. So anybody talking about Oscar consideration, it's not hyperbole, folks. If you haven't seen the movie, trust me, it's not hyperbole. Uh, for any of us who have seen it, uh, we know because, wow, did she just bring it in this movie. And it was such a, like I said, not only the complication of, of doing this movie under the circumstances of it, to to do this character under the circumstances that this character finds herself in, but then the, the added weight of the character dying, sacrificing herself for somebody else. Uh, she sacrifices herself for somebody that is practically a stranger, the Riri Williams character. And you have to imagine that is going to surface again with Riri Williams in the Ironheart series. The fact that this woman who barely knew her sacrificed herself to save her. Uh, I think that that affects somebody. That affects your psyche and, and what you stand for. And I think we'll see that play out. But the the Ramonda character sacrificing herself when Namor attacked the, what was it, the throne room or, or whatever, uh, with those water bombs flooding the place. And then uh, another outstanding performance by Letitia Wright, who not only had to play the pain of losing her brother, but she had to play the pain of losing her mother. Uh, just that's a, that's a lot of emotional weight to carry in in one movie, just having to deal with one of those situations. But but we see her character just get shit on time and time again. Every time she turns around, something bad is happening. And, and again, it plays into the rage that's inside of her. Uh, she just wants revenge. She wants justice for something that is that is ha- you know all this stuff that has been happening to her but back to angela bassett as ramonda fantastic job she really is the kind of character that can play the the motherly compassion she can pay, play the grief of a mother who's experienced loss she has the stature as an actress to play the powerful scenes as the powerful ruler, the ruler that's not going to take your country's shit just because we're finding ourselves in a little bit of turmoil right now. Uh, she just played it all so well and so powerfully and so emotionally. And so, yeah, like I said, Oscar consideration, award consideration is very much in order for Angela Bassett when it comes to this movie. And another actor I kind of saved towards the end just because this is his kind of his coming out party when it comes to American cinema and television is uh, Tenoch Huerta. I, I talked about him uh, a little bit uh, earlier, but he plays Namor, uh, the Prince of uh, Telokan. Also, uh, he's called Tukulakan. Uh, it's a, that's a like a swinged serpent god in, in Aztec culture. Uh, very appropriate for the way we see Namor. And I, I won't talk about his, like I said, his, his performance was fantastic. He played the the anger he played the remorse he played the the man that's just trying to do right by his people and if other people need to be hurt when they get in his way then so be it but he's he's doing the wrong things for the right reasons and he plays that very well he's just so charismatic as an actor uh, i quite enjoyed him and i'm looking forward to seeing namor or namor as he calls himself kind of playing off i believe that's ancient mayan language uh, he used a lot of that throughout this movie, but uh, but the, one of the things I will talk about a little more when we're talking about Namor is the design because I like the design of him because it was very much true to the Namor that we 
see as the Submariner in the comics. While he did have more adorned with the Aztec jewelry and things of that nature, tattoos and whatnot, uh, he didn't have the little Speedo. He went more for the boxer briefs look, but you kind of have that kind of scaly green. But I love how they kept the, the wings on his feet. And that was a thing that it, it seems cool in the comics. You weren't sure how it was going to play out in the live action version, but I'm glad they did it. And, you know, there were times uh, when the CG wings looked really good, usually when you couldn't focus on them much, but then there were scenes where uh, it was a little hokey because the CG wasn't that great. And I, I've noticed that a lot with Marvel stuff lately. There are, there are some scenes that they're willing to put some money into the CG, and then there are other scenes where they're just doing it as quick as they can because they're trying to push out so much stuff all at once. And they're not really putting in the, the manpower or the money into really good CG when, you know, you're Marvel, you're Disney. You better have, you better become with your A game when it comes to the production quality of your, your movies and the CG quality of your movies. And that's kind of, I think we're going to kind of transition from the actors and the performances to to some of the things I liked and didn't like about the movie. And, and while we're talking about CG, I thought for the most part, the CG wasn't horrible. A lot of the underwater stuff looked pretty good. There was some CG that looked a little... Uh, a little wonky, but then there were other scenes that, that were pretty good and I, I enjoyed for the most part. The CG wasn't egregious in this, so I can't complain too much about that. But then there were some things like the ankle wings, you know, when they focused on them too much, they looked like fa it looked bad CG at times. Uh, so that was a little disappointing. Uh, for the most part, though, like I said, the production value when it comes to sets and, and props and costumes and things of that nature, I, I thought they did a really good job because it just you know you're immersed in these two different and vast cultures you know you got the the african uh culture of wakanda you have the uh mexican aztec culture of talucan and they just did a really good job of making these two different cultures look very rich and lush and like the ancient civilizations that they uh, they are based off of you know, these civilizations that have been around since the dawn of time and and they feel like that. So I, I was really happy with that. I was really happy with the the directing. I think the directing and the cinematography, Ryan Coogler, the director who also did the story and and co-wrote the screenplay, did a fantastic job. Autumn Gerald Arcapa. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. I'm probably butchering that, but they were the cinematographer and just some beautiful shots. I mean, just uh, this was a beautifully shot movie and a beautifully created and crafted movie that, you know, you you come to expect that from from Ryan Coogler with the Black Panther series because the first Black Panther movie was just so visually stunning to watch. The only problem I really had with this was the screenplay. I think the screenplay just needed tightened up. Like I said, this is damn near three hours and it didn't need to be this long. I I thought going into this, I'm like, oh, this is probably going to be like a two-hour movie. I'll go to the movie theater at noon, be out by two, be on my merry way, go get some stuff done. Uh, I get out of the movie theater, I look at my clock on my uh, on the dash of my car and it's almost three o'clock. I'm like, Jesus, please us. I didn't think it was going to be that long. I, and I, I get a little frustrated with especially Marvel movies these days because it's like they feel for a, a superhero movie to be good, it's got to be ridiculously long. And it doesn't have to be like that. I mean, you take a movie like Thor Love and Thunder. Now, it had its faults. I, I enjoyed it for what it was. I'm not going to say it was my favorite Marvel movie by any stretch of the imagination, but I, but I did enjoy it for the most part. It clocked in under two hours, just under two hours, but under two hours. And I think that would have been a good length for this movie. I think it just went on way too long. The the stuff with Agent Ross and Valentina DeFontaine, that, that stuff all could have been cut out. They could have shortened up some of the things, uh, tightened things up. Uh, we didn't have to spend as much time, I think, in Talokan with, with Cherie and Namor. We didn't have to spend so much time there. There was just a lot of things, I think, a lot of fat that could have been trimmed. It could have got this movie a little closer 
closer to two hours. And I think it would have really, I mean, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, uh, I didn't get a good night's sleep the night before <laughs> I watched this. And I watched movies pretty much all day long in the cover of my own home and at the movie theater. And each movie I watched, I found myself nodding off at some point. Not a reflection of the movie. This movie, I found myself nodding off. And while I don't chalk it up to the movie, I was just really tired. Uh, but there was a couple points. Uh, I noticed that I kind of started to to nod and you know jerk myself awake during some of the slower scenes. Some of the scenes like in and Talokan, some of the scenes with uh, Martin Freeman and Julie Louis-Dreyfus, it just... They were they were scenes that slowed down the pace. And while this movie is paced pretty good for the most part, it does have some moments that just slow you down. And it's not even tension-breaking. It's just tension-stopping, momentum-stopping scenes that could have been cut. This movie is way too long. Way longer than it needed to be. But other than that, I like... Like I said, I really enjoyed what Ryan Coogler did with this. I, I enjoyed the action. The action scenes were all pretty good. Uh, I enjoyed the treatment of the, uh, you know, all the death in this movie and and how they didn't focus on it. It didn't become, you know, it wasn't just a big tear fest throughout this, but they focused on it enough to give you the emotional connection. And then they played on that theme uh, of mourning throughout this and not in a tearful way but in you know and revenge was a, a big thing with this the music was also really good with this they played a lot on african themes and african you know music uh pop music and and, and hip-hop and r&b stuff like that they did the same with a, a lot of mexican music and you know pop music and and things like that making you know, hip-hop music from mexico and these kind of two cultures uh, coming together and and, you know, in, in some of the music and some of the pop and hip hop that they use from both cultures, it really kind of uh, spoke to the nature of these two nations, Wakanda and Talokan, uh, where they're two different countries, two different nations, but yet they're so similar. And that played into the end of this where, you know, you've got Cherie who is hell-bent on vengeance, but then she gets a visit from her mom from the ancestral plane and telling her to show Namor who she really is. And we find out that's not her. Vengeance is not her. She's she's a very kind person and a very loving person, a very merciful person. And we get that bit of mercy. And you, and you kind of get the conflicting memories, or, or not conflicting, but the opposing memories, memories of Cherie, memories of Namor. And they all go back to the love of their family. And it's those things that that bond people uh, of differing cultures and differing nationalities and differing races. Uh, love is the, the bond we share, love of our own family, love of our people, love of our way of life. We all love. It's a base need and a base emotion that, that we all share. And that's the common ground we can find. And I think in the music where you have similar styles of music, uh, very poppy, hip hoppy, you know, R&B sounds from these two differing countries that are continents, actually, uh, that are very akin to one another. It's just different. Uh, and that's, that's how we as a people are. You know, we're, we're different but we all share a lot of the same similar bonds. Uh, some of the things that make us the same, and that is love, love of family, love of, you know, ice cream, love. I, you know, I, always, I always look at that, and you, you find something that is totally different from you in, in every way, shape, and form, and you set some, you know, an ice cream cone or a bowl of ice cream in front of them, and, you know, everybody loves ice cream. And, and if we could all just sit down and enjoy some ice cream, uh, we could probably hash out a lot of our differences, uh, whether it be races, countries, uh, species, what what have you. And then they do the really cool PS scene where Cherie goes to visit Nakia in Haiti and finds out that she and T'Challa had a son, Prince T'Challa II. And you have to imagine he is going to be the future 
Black Panther, and Shuri is going to be the the intermediate Black Panther until he becomes of age and can take the throne and and take the mantle of Black Panther. Uh, so that was a, a really fun scene and really kind of spoke to the not too terribly distant future of the Black Panther franchise, unless they do some big ass time jump in the next couple of movies. So all in all, I enjoyed Black Panther two Wakanda Forever. It was uh, it was what I like about Marvel movies. It was comic book action. It had a little bit of humor in there, a lot of heart, uh, a bit of drama, and it was just a fun comic book superhero story uh, where you had a lot of complex themes, a lot of complex emotions being played out in a fantastical comic book setting. But it just, it wasn't overly funny, but it did have some moments of levity. It wasn't overly dramatic, but it did have some heartfelt dramatic moments. It wasn't overly action-centric, but it did have a lot of action. It was... Uh, it wasn't overly realistic, but it had logical moments of realism in it. And it also had a guy with wings on his ankles that could make him fly. So not too realistic, but by God, was it fun. So hopefully as this wraps up, I believe this wraps up this latest phase of Marvel. And then we go into the next phase as we get into the secret invasion stuff and all this multiverse stuff and on into like the secret wars stuff. I'm interested to see where they go. I'm interested to see how they, they treat Marvel properties. I, I hope they get away from the like too much comedy stuff that they had been doing up until Black Panther 2. Uh, I like that Black Panther 2 really kind of eased back on that. And, and we just didn't get a bunch of uh, jokes and knee slappers and one-liners and Thor running around being a big frat boy buffoon. Uh, that's that's not fun comic book action. That's, that's I don't know what that is, but I'm glad they got away from that. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where... Uh, Marvel takes us into the uh, the next phase of the MCU. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in, listening to my thoughts on Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever. I enjoyed it. Hopefully you did too. And if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Uh, if you like superhero comic book movies, I, I think you'll enjoy this one. I think this is uh, Marvel hopefully getting back on track. What is good and what's important about uh, you know Marvel and, and comic book movies. So check us out. You can find out more on what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page. We're always posting trailers and as well as articles we find all over the internet. I had my two cents, uh, so go check that out. Uh, please follow us on there. Follow us on Instagram. You can also, no matter where you're listening to this podcast, please follow it, subscribe to it, like it, uh, comment. Five stars would be awesome. Review us. And uh, we do appreciate you sharing this with anyone you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!